Well, good evening. We're going to go ahead and get started. And uh, uh, tonight, uh, if you were meant to come for the men's Bible study, uh, you know, Davey works in the coal mine. They had some kind of a situation that came up and he had to stay over. So men's Bible study will start next week. And uh, tonight we're in Psalm 88. And uh, I, I always am amazed at how the Lord works. And uh, if you have watched the news any today, you realize that things are a mess. And Psalms 88 is called by most Bible scholars the most depressing or saddest psalm. When you think of most of Scripture and most of the stories throughout the Old Testament, they have problems, right? But then usually the Lord delivers them. But in Psalm 88, uh, this individual prays and does not get a response. And so I know that uh, most of you understand this, but the idea that everything always works out the way that we want it to uh, is just not a scriptural concept, right? Um, the Jesse Duplantis's and individuals like that that teach you that if you really want something bad enough, God has to do it. It's just not a scriptural, scriptural principle. Uh, because Psalm 88 is one where someone has prayed for God to deliver them, and he doesn't. And I think it's fitting that as our nation is spinning into a cycle of sin and discouragement and everything else I could go on for a week about, um, it just might be that God has finally said, you know what? This is what you want. This is what you can have. Now, I don't know that. I'm not a prophet. I haven't heard from the Lord. But um, we see tonight in this psalm this simple truth. And so tonight I have no idea what you're going through. I have no idea if you've been praying for the Lord to answer for a long period of time and he hasn't. But I think it's just really significant that that's where we are um, as a country and as a situation. And here we are in Psalm 88. And so tonight, even though it is the most discouraging or saddest psalm, I'm going to try not to make you leave here feeling worse than you did when you got here. And so if you take a note, so the first thing I want to show you is the crisis. Um, anytime that, that life falls apart around us, it's not usually because of blessings. It's usually because of crisis, right? A crisis in our health. We get a diagnosis that we didn't expect. Um, someone betrays us that we never thought would have betrayed us. Um, we lose a job that we never thought we could lose. And uh, uh, recently I was uh, asked if I would serve as a uh, local, uh, oh, I think it's a township committeeman maybe or something like that. And uh, there were some openings and they said, well, this time we could just appoint you somewhere. But next time you'd have to run. And I said, I have been involved in one major election in my life, and that was the one here. And it was 129 to 1. And I don't think I could ever get odds that good here or anywhere else again. So I'm going to retire from the uh, people voting for me. Uh, but that, that, to me, that is the worst thing in the world. To have your name on there, have to go out and campaign, and someone uh, vote for you. Uh, but that's not the thing that would bother me the most. Uh, complaining people is what bothers me the most. And uh, you know it if you've ever dealt with the public at all, if you've ever coached a sporting team, if you've ever had employees under you, if you've ever held any kind of office at all, 
um, somebody wants to complain to someone, and it's always the person up the food chain, right? And, um, and so I just want you to think about that because a crisis looks different for all of us. Um, you might have no health crisis in your life right now. You might be physically healthy, young, so that's not even an issue for you. But maybe you're younger and your children are, are high school age and you're struggling with the crisis of raising teenagers. Uh, it could be so many different things. And so I just want to show you here in these first verses um, the crisis that he faces. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. And if you underline your Bible or take notes, uh, I really want you to underline that. Cried out day and night. It literally means spending all day and all night. And so it's something where the sadness, of the discouragement, and the crisis is so overwhelming that you can't shut it off. Um, you have probably, in your life, maybe been having a bad uh, period, but yet you've been able to, to take your mind off with something, right? How many of us have ever went on vacation and thought, if we don't get away from here, we're going we're gonna to hurt someone, right? Or maybe at work. If I don't take a week off work, I'm not going to make it another day because I'm going to get fired. Um, that's this idea, right, of getting away from our problems. Maybe you were at a family uh, dinner this holiday season and finally had to get up because you said, if I have to listen to that person one more time, uh, it's not going to end well. This idea of relief, right? When you're sick, you want to go to the doctor so that you can get relief. If you've ever had a toothache, you get it, you want to go to the dentist so that they can do what? Relief, pull it or numb it or whatever it takes. And so the idea here is this is not a crisis that is, that is insignificant. This is something that is it is constant, and it is something that has begged and begged and begged God to intervene. I think of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, right? It says that he prayed numerous times for the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh, and, and he didn't, did he? And so I, I just really want tonight to, to get that across. And it might not be anybody in this room tonight. Your lives might be exactly the way that you wanted them to. The elections might be going exactly the same, the way you want them to. Uh, I, you know, maybe all is well in the world for you. But if I'm guessing, because um, I'm not a betting man, you have problems. And the people that are watching have problems. And look what it says in verse 2. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Um, you don't have to share tonight, but I'm going to try to slow down. Um, and, uh, and when do you feel a time in your life that maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed for something and you didn't feel like the Lord listened? A time in your life where you have prayed and prayed and prayed and felt like God did not listen. I have prayed um, numerous times um, here and uh, be a young lady who wanted a child uh, and couldn't uh, get pregnant or they had been pregnant and had lost the child over and over and over again. 
This is, uh, this is probably, that is probably the, the most easy way for me to think about this and put it in comparison is what it was like to sit with those moms and dads who wanted a child more than anything. And it, it just, you know, it, sometimes, it, sometimes God touched the body miraculously. And you can look around in this church and there's seven or eight children, or if not more, that doctors said, you're not going to have any kids. And the Lord did that. But yet you also will see other families here who have still been praying or have, have given up trying because the pain has just been so overwhelming. And so I really want you to, to hear that tonight because this is not a simple idea of, well, you know, I didn't get the promotion, but I've still got a job kind of situation. This is, if God doesn't do something, I don't know if I can make it. I just don't know if I can make it. Because it says in verse 3 here, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from the, <clears throat> excuse me, who are cut off from your hand. And so just think about this, this idea of full of. Um, some of are full of spaghetti right now. Um, some of are full of sweet tea and lemonade as you proceeded to go back and back again. Um, we think about that, usually full is a good thing, right? My um, gasoline tank is full. It's a good thing. I don't know why it is, but for some reason in our house, every time I get in someone's vehicle in our house, it is always almost empty. And the response is, why is it almost empty? Well, I've got an eighth of a tank. That's enough. No. If it gets to a half, fill it up, right? That's how I operate in our home. And so full is usually a good thing. When you think about the holidays, a house full of the people that you love, it, it, it usually has a positive um, application to it. But here he says, my soul is full of troubles. It is completely and totally troubled. Um, when you have ever dealt with someone who has been discouraged, what is usually the one thing you will tell someone or have been told? Don't forget your blessings, right? No matter how bad it seems, you can still look around at the blessings in your life. But this really gives us the idea that this person has looked around and there is nothing but troubles. Nothing but troubles. To the point where he even references himself as someone who is one who's about to die, who has no life, no energy, no strength. Um, you are all old enough to have probably at some point been around a loved one or someone that you cared about as they have died. And, and I don't mean like the quick sudden, but the, the slow, right? Maybe they, they were battling cancer and they lost the weight and then, and then they uh, lost the ability to eat. And, and you, you knew how that was, right? And they get weaker and weaker and then they, they're no longer able to walk usually. And it's just this progression, right? And then usually at the very end, you almost know, right? You're like, it just, you know, they're not eating at all. They've been days without drinking. And, and this is the connotation. I, guess not, I don't know if that's the right word or not. But that is the, the example here that he's giving of that person who is right there on their deathbed 
no strength, no energy. And at that situation, when you dealt with someone in your family, that, it's hopeless, right? It, it is a hopeless situation. And that's what the writer of the psalmist says here. And I, I want you to really stop and think about that because if we're honest, most of us would admit that we've had trials and tribulations in our life. But have we ever been there? Right? Uh, I think of, which they're here tonight, I think of uh, uh, the night at Evansville when, uh, when Jamie and Michelle found out that Jace had the tumor. Uh, I wasn't even the parent, but I was in the hallway and it was like, it was like all of the, maybe not for them, but it was like all the joy in the world was gone, you know. Um, I think of um, a few years ago, I did a, a funeral for a, for a 16-year-old boy that had his license three days, and it was just like, it's just overwhelming, you know. Um, I think of some of the families that have, have lost um, babies and had to go ahead and had to deliver them, and just, just that feeling, you know. And, and that's what the psalmist is trying to say here, and, and I know it seems really, really discouraging, um, but I really hope tonight that you will understand that if you've never been here, there are people that are there. And when someone is on their last days on this earth, what usually happens? Do they care for themselves or does someone else care for them? Who is that usually? Family or an organization called hospice, right? They are trained to care for people, to be there for people. And as the church, we are called to be there for one another. And so today, if you've never had to bury a child, Maybe you've never had to, to deal with cancer. Maybe you've never had to file bankruptcy and, and lose everything that you own and worry about where you're going to sleep t tonight or your family. You need to know that someone needs to be there to care for those people and to care for them well. Because when they get that hopeless, it's just like that person at the end of their physical life. It's hopeless unless God intervenes or someone cares for them. Look what it says in verse 6, though, because it goes from just being a problem to this person acknowledging that, that God has allowed this to happen for a purpose. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves, Salah. You... I hope that you're hearing the significance of the you here in every verse. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eyes wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. Now, we do not know that if this person is is accurately describing this because we see from the New Testament that just because things happen that are disasters doesn't mean that someone has done something, right? Jesus talked about the tower that had fallen um, and some other things. But there was something in this individual's life that he really felt that God had brought this on him for a reason. And I think that in the New Testament we see this principle taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you're familiar, it's the chapter about the Lord's Supper. And the Bible says that there were people that were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. 
And the Bible says that God did what? You've been here a long time. I've said it a thousand times. Yes, some had grown sick and some had fallen asleep. And I want you to, to look there because I want you to walk this with you and just think about this in your own life. Has God ever had to remove things from you to humble you? Has God ever had to remove people from your life to humble you? You have laid me in the lowest pit in darkness and in depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. This idea of being in the ocean with the waves going over you, that's a, a terrible feeling. You can't get your breath. You can't do anything about it. You, you're helpless unless someone does what? Saves you. They're called literally lifeguards, right? And it's this idea that, that, that you are helpless, totally and completely helpless against the might of of the waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. So he takes the strength away. He takes the people away. Because if you're honest, you have probably put too much faith in other people in your life. I have. I have been guilty of, of, of having people that, that I like more than other people. But yet the Bible says what? Not to do that. But it's almost impossible, right? Have you ever trusted and loved someone so much and then they betrayed you? It's probably one of the worst feelings in the whole world. But that's what he says there. You have put my acquaintances far from me. Why is that? Because the worship of another person is idolatry. Doesn't matter if it's your wife, doesn't matter if it's your children, doesn't matter if your grandchildren, doesn't matter if it's a pastor, doesn't matter if it's a deacon a Sunday school teacher, an athlete, a famous politician, if you love them more than you love God, they are a problem. How many of you agree with that? Now, how many of you, though, spend more time thinking and talking about your grandchildren than you do the Lord? Now, I'm not saying it's a sign of idolatry. I'm just saying it's something to think about. How much time do I spend talking about my children and their accomplishments than I do the one who died for me? You see, that's where the rubber hits the road because none of us would say, well, my hobbies are more important than, than God, but yet do our hobbies take us from God? Do our pursuit of worldly things take us from God? And so it literally says here that God has taken those acquaintances far from me. And so tonight, I hope that you will know that sometimes when God takes people out of your life, it is to protect you. And sometimes when God takes people out of your life, it is to correct you. That was really good, but that's okay. Uh, I'm even going slow tonight, Tyler, but people aren't... I'm trying to go slow tonight, you know, right? Because sometimes God takes people out of your life to protect you, and sometimes it is to correct you. Sometimes it's because you don't know what that person is going to do to you in the future. And other times it's because you have made that person more important than God. Ms. Parker suggests that this person might have been removed because he had something like leprosy. Could be. And all of this would fall in mm -hmm. yeah. when he has leprosy. Yeah, and if you look at the Old Testament, what do they consider about leprosy? If you got leprosy, it was a 
of sin or a punishment of God. Yeah, and I think that I, I would agree with MacArthur. I just, I think that there's just so much there that it's, yeah, could be a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and it's so it says, you have made me an abomination to them. So not only did he just remove it, he has changed the way they thought about him. So whether it was leprosy, don't be around me. If you know anything by that, if you had leprosy, you had to stay away from people. If they got near you, you had to. I'm unclean, unclean. Um, and so whether or not that's, that's physical or God had changed the opinions of these people, we don't know, but it has changed everything. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eyes waste away. Because of my affliction, Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. When you stretch out your hands, what is that usually a sign of? You're, yeah, or you want something, right? My children want me to pick them up. Um, my wife, uh, when she's carrying 37 bags of groceries in one trip, um, she doesn't want me to help her, but she has got her hands full, right? She is doing something. And so I just, I really think that um, whether it's physical or not, it is just this idea of, of there is nothing this person can do on their own. And yet they are going to God. So even if the results work out the way we want them to or don't, our first response is always to cry out to the Lord. And so I hope tonight that you are doing that no matter your situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that we don't we don't talk about this a lot. That a parent who loves their children does what to them? Disciplines them. But yet, how many sermons do we hear about God disciplining His people? Not very many. But yet, if if we love our children and we discipline them. How much more does God love us? And so whether it was sin that caused the leprosy, whether it was the sin that caused the affliction of another kind, um, God had a purpose in that. And I would just say this tonight. I do not agree with the way the election has gone in any shape, form, or fashion. But I do believe that God is well within his right at this point to look at us and say, you think 60 million babies is not a big deal? You think mistreating the poor and disregarding right and wrong? Uh, do you think the, the devaluing every aspect of marriage and then stand up and ask for my blessing? God is well in His right to open up the windows of heaven and wipe us out. I believe that. Uh, I don't want that. Let's be clear, all right? I'm all about the blessings. No, no. But I can tell you it will cause the church to be refined, Right? Um, you're fastly approaching a day where if it costs you something to come, I can promise you attendance will probably go down. If it costs me something to be a pastor, will I continue to preach no matter the cost? And so I really want you to know that, that, that just because the affliction and crisis has come, God still has a purpose in it. And, and so the second thing I want to show you tonight, and, 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 and as you're taking this title down, that He gives His case his defense of the situation. 
Look what it says there in verse 10. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Salah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grain? Or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. And my Bible commentary says this, and I think it's a really... It's a really good statement. It says, These are a series of rhetorical questions that expect negative answers, typical of a disputing speech. The psalmist asked if God could perform miracles on behalf of the dead in order to receive praise in the grave. On the contrary, God blesses the living to receive glory on earth and in heaven. And so... He is asking this question, God, how can, you, how can you bless me if I'm dead? God, how can you get credit and glory if you don't deliver me from this? And um, it's kind of like this idea that God isn't glorified unless he does a miracle that benefits me. Um, that's just not the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really the, the motion and the, uh, the thing that should cause our attention is that God is glorified no matter if he answers your prayer with a yes or a no. And I think that's something that's very hard for us to hear, that God is glorified even if he doesn't restore the sight to the blind. God is, resto- God is glorified even if he wouldn't have healed the woman with a flow of blood. And that's hard for us to understand because why? Why do you think... How do you, let me rephrase it. How do you think God is glorified when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want him to? How do you feel God is most glorified? As a parent, um, when you give your kids what they want, they are always pretty well behaved, right? They're happy. It's when you tell them no that you start to realize, am I doing a very good job at being a parent or not, right? Uh, Because when they're laying in the floor screaming and crying and you tell them, if you don't stop, I'm going to beat you, (laughs) and they stop, you kind of feel like, hey, they, they understand the concept, not that they don't throw the fit, okay? And the Bible says it's easy for us to love someone who is a good man, right? even though the Bible says there's none good. But we're to love those who are our enemies, right? Pray for those who persecute us. And I think the, the mark of real faith is trusting God regardless of what he does. We love the blesser, not the blessings. And so I really do think that when the world looks at us and when we don't get what we want, right, it doesn't work out the way that we think it should, um, it's in those moments that people realize um, there's something different about them. I'm going to make sure my mom's not in here. Is my mom in here? She's in the women's body. Okay. When my mom and dad lost my brother, um, it, it was crushing. Don't get me wrong. But their faith didn't waver. Um, we're going to church. We're going to Sunday school. We're going to Sunday night. We're going to keep witnessing. We're going to keep praying. And... Uh, and to me, that is probably one of the most profound things in my life of faith that I has ever happened. To watch that 
and to see that, yes, they were devastated, heartbroken, but yet there wasn't this anger. And there was, there was anger. I'm sure there was. I, don't, I hope that you don't think that it was. But their faith continued to produce fruit. And, um, and I think it's in those moments when I, I look back now to think, would I have that faith if it was one of mine? You know, um, and so I really, I want you to hear that t- tonight, that as God allows you to be tested, not tempted, you need to understand that as you are, are being faithful in the middle of that, even if you have questions and, and concerns, when God gives you what you need, supplies all that you need, it's a testimony to who He is. Because everyone is losing loved ones. Everyone has family that betrays them. Everyone has job loss. All people have trials, right? But the difference is, why do we have hope going through them? Because God. What does the Apostle Paul say in 1 Thessalonians when he's talking to people who have lost loved ones, right? I do not want you to be ignorant that we have hope that the world doesn't have, right? That when we bury a loved one, we believe what the book says. Absent from the body is... And so he goes on to say, don't, don't, don't believe these lies that you've missed the resurrection. That's what he's talking about there. He said, there's coming a day when the Father's going to tell the Son to what? And the dead in Christ will rise, right? To meet Him in the... And then those of us who remain will be quickly changed. And so as a Christian, I am going to see my loved ones again who love Jesus Christ. I'm, it's not a doubt in my mind. And when I stand at a funeral, every graveside, I always say these words. This is where you have to make a choice. Do you really believe what the world teaches, that 80 years, 90 years, this is as good as it gets? In and up in a box, in the ground. Or do you believe what the Bible says? Only one of two options. One has no hope, and one has all the hope. And that's really how it is. Trusting God's promises, showing the world that we can have hope. Like the election, God can provide for me no matter what kind of people are up there running. God's God's been providing for me in my family financially, and we've had a a yo-yo running this state for a long time. So God can do that in Washington. It's just who God is. He provides for His children. The Bible says that the righteous don't go hungry. That's what the Bible says. And so just think about that. What is one way in your life that someone going through a trial or a test has strengthened your faith? Not how your faith has strengthened someone else, because we've all got those wonderful stories. How how has someone else's faith through the difficulties made you trust or have more faith because of that? So he makes this case, right? How can you be glorified if you don't heal? And so when you you watch the television evangelist say, God will be glorified if your faith will just make you well, right? Um, You know, when you look through the Bible, miracles are sporadic. They're not the normal. God showed up and did great and mighty things at certain times for usually bigger purposes, right? Jesus did miracles to affirm that he was the Messiah. In Acts, it was to affirm that the disciples were uh, 
his messengers than it was the work of the Holy Spirit. You look at the ministries of Elijah, uh, Moses, those were the, were the exceptions. Now we believe God does miracles, but never believe that it only has to be through those moments that God works. One of my favorite chapters and least favorite chapters is Philippians chapter 2, right? It is my favorite chapter because it starts out there talking about how Christ did not consider it robbery, right, to be all that he was and yet come. My least favorite part is there is when it talks about you're supposed to do all things without what? Disputing and complaining. Why? Because we know that the Lord loves us. We know that he knows what's best for us. And I just need to trust him. Well, let's just be honest. None of us does that. All right. That is probably the most disobeyed part of scripture probably because we don't even mean to. It's out of our mouth. Right. Someone cuts you off in traffic. They charge you too much. Or you, here's one. You don't get the right sandwich at the restaurant. I took my kid to the Dairy Queen yesterday and uh, they went to bring me my food. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. That was the guy in front of you as he drove off. And the girl goes, don't worry, we know him, he'll be back. <laughs> and all I could think of was, oh, I don't think that was a 10 miler. Oh, I don't think that was a 10 miler. And uh, I said, yeah, I had his, had his back st sticker on the back, you know, honk if you want Jesus, you don't know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but that person had apparently made a butt of themselves numerous times over not getting their right. Huh? And they're not fulfilling the orders well either, yes, but, yeah, yeah, but I, I thought in that moment that, you know, that's just a simple example, but, and a silly one almost, but, but how many times do, do we do that? Do we not trust God in those moments that it doesn't seem to be working out the way that we want it to? And so I just really want to challenge you that God is not angry here that he presents his case. And so you ought to pray in the crisis. You ought to pray honestly. And then this is the, the, the third and final thing is that the confusion. The confusion that this individual felt. Look what it says in verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord. He is saying, I've not prayed to the false uh, gods. I've not prayed to, to, to the idols. I've prayed to you. And in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into the dark. And so he just really asked this questions of why. And tonight I, I want to just challenge you that um, you have no idea how much good you might do to someone by just listening to them. Um, I have uh, been guilty of listening to someone's problem just long enough for them to finish so that I could tell them mine. And as a pastor, um, that I realize that more and more and more. Uh, One-tenth of all calls I get are positive. Nine-tenths are not positive. Um, somebody's spouse has left them. Someone's got cancer. Um, someone's lost their job. You know, that's the majority of them, right? Pray for this upcoming surgery. And they're not bad. I hope you don't know. But 
but that's the need, right? Is most of us don't need people when things are going well, right? If I've got enough money in the bank account, lots of family, I, I've got what I, I need. But it, when it's when it all falls apart, um, that's when we need someone. And so tonight, if this does not apply to you, I, I hope that you will realize. And in this psalm, whether it's leprosy or not. This person is longing to be with his family and friends. Did you, did you not hear that twice he brought that up? Lord, you have separated the people I care about from me. And so I, I, I say this in the middle of a pandemic. The church matters. Your Christian faith and your love for each other matters. And I hope that you hear that because every single week when we start the preaching part of the sermon, I do what? I read from a card, right? Why? Well, you should know the reason why. People know we care. People know we care. And hopefully new people from the time they're here hear this idea of, well, I better be loving on people. <laughs> I've never got up and read a negative letter yet, <laughs> and I don't plan to, but we get very few of those compared to the other ones. And so I just want to challenge you that when we're looking at an election that didn't go the way I wanted it to, when we're looking at families losing loved ones, sickness running rampant in our community, people are needing someone to love them. And ultimately that's God. But yet God will allow you the privilege of being a part of that. And so be looking for people that are in this situation. The widow, the orphan, um, the downtrodden, be looking for those people to, to love and to make a difference in.